Chapter Fourteen of Wolf the Saxon by George Alfred Henty. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Wolf's Suspicions Beyond the fact that the name of the king had changed, the death of Edward and the accession of Harold made no sensible difference in the government of the southern half of England. Harold had practically reigned for years and the fact that he was now able to give his orders direct, instead of having nominally to consult Edward, had only the effect that the affairs of the state moved somewhat more promptly. Such of the Norman favourites of Edward as desired to leave were permitted to do so, and were honourably escorted to the coast, but many remained. The Norman prelates and abbots retained their dignities undisturbed, and several of the court officials of Edward held the same positions under Harold. A fortnight after the coronation, a party of Norman barons arrived, bearing a summons from Duke William to Harold to fulfil the oath he had sworn to be his man, and also to carry out his engagement to marry one of William's daughters. They were received with all honour, and Harold informed them that he would without delay reply to the Duke's summons. A few days later three thanes of high rank started for Normandy with Harold's reply. Wolf accompanied them. I would that you should go with them, Wolf, Harold had said to him. You are too young to be one of my embassy to Duke William, but it would be well that you should form one of the party. The Duke knows you and has a liking for you, and possibly may speak more freely to you than to my official messengers. Moreover, you have many acquaintances and friends there, and may gather valuable news as to the feeling in Normandy and the probability of William's barons embarking in a desperate war for his advantage i should be glad to go my lord the duke knows well enough what my answer must be he is aware that were i ready to either resign my kingship to him or to agree to hold my crown as his vassal the people of england would laugh to scorn my assumption so to dispose of them and would assuredly renounce and slay me as a traitor who had broken the oath i swore at my coronation it is a mere formal summons william makes as one summons a city to surrender before undertaking its siege. It is but a move in the game. That he will, if he can, strike for the kingdom, I doubt not in any way, but it may well be that his barons will refuse to embark in a war beyond the seas, which is altogether beyond the military service they are bound to render. At any rate, we have breathing time. Vast preparations must be made before he can invade England, and until he is ready, we shall have messengers passing to and fro. A few of my chief counsellors, the earls and great thanes, refuse to believe that William will ever attempt by force of arms to grasp the crown of England. But for myself I have no doubt that he will do so. I shall at once prepare for war, and the first step of all is to unite England from the northern border to the southern sea, so that we may oppose the Normans with our whole strength. This must be my personal work. Other matters I must for a time entrust to the earls. The train was not a large one. One ship bore the thanes and their attendants from Southampton to Rouen. They were received with all honour at their landing, conducted to a house that had been assigned to their use, and informed that they would be received by the duke on the following day. They had brought their horses with them, and as soon as they were housed, Wolf mounted and attended by Osgod, rode to the castle of the de Burgs. Three years had passed since he had last been there. He had from time to time 
received letters and greetings from Guy de Burg by the hands of Normans who visited the court, and knew that although he had gained in health and strength, the predictions of the surgeons had been fulfilled, and that he would never be able to take part in knightly exercises or deeds of arms. The warden at the gate had sent in Wolf's name, and as he alighted, a tall young man ran down the steps and embraced him. "'I am overjoyed to see you, Wolf,' he exclaimed. "'When we heard that Harold would send over an English embassy to answer the Duke's demands, I hoped that you would be among the number. Harold would be likely to choose you, and I felt sure that you would come over to see me. I had a messenger waiting at Rouen to bring me tidings of the arrival of your ship, and it is scarcely an hour that he rode in with the news that, by inquiries among the servants as they landed, he had learned that you were indeed of the party.' but I had hardly looked to see you until to-morrow morning, and had indeed intended to ride over on my palfrey at daybreak. I would not delay, Guy, for the answer we bear will not be to the Duke's liking, and for aught I know he may pack us off again as soon as the interview is ended. Therefore I thought it best not to lose a moment. I see you have brought your tall retainer with you, Wolf. I am glad to see the stout fellow again. But come in. They will chide me for keeping you so long at the entrance. Wolf was warmly received by the baron and his wife. "'You are just what I thought you would grow up, Wolf,' the former said, and indeed your figure was so set and square before that there was little chance of great alteration. We have heard of you from time to time, and that you distinguished yourself greatly in the war against the Welsh, and stood high in the favour and affection of Harold. Guy has overshot you, you see, in point of height, though he is scarce half your breadth.' and the baron looked with a suppressed sigh at the fragile young fellow who stood with his hand on wolf's shoulder well he looks better than stronger than i expected my lord wolf said you must remember when i last saw him he could scarcely walk across the room and in my heart i scarce hope to ever see him again he gains strength very slowly de burg said wistfully but though he has to be careful himself he has no ailment he could hardly gain strength while growing so fast wolf said but now that he has gained his full height he will doubtless gather strength and as three years have done so much for him another three years will i hope do far more the lady agnes is well i trust she is well and will be here soon the baroness said guy laughed with something of his former heartiness she was here when the man brought news of your arrival wolf but she fled away like a startled deer and has, I suppose, gone to put on her best kirtle in your honour. As he spoke, Agnes entered the room. Considerable as was the change that three years had brought in the young man, it was still greater in her case, for she had grown from a pretty young girl into a very lovely maiden, whose cheek flushed as she presented it for Wolf's salute. "'Would you have known her again, Wolf?' Guy asked with a smile. I should have certainly known her, though she has so greatly changed, Wolf replied. I thought you would be grown up and altered, but I scarcely looked for so great an alteration in her, that I might, of course, have known that it would be so. And now tell me, Wolf, the Baron said abruptly, changing the conversation, how go things in England? Are people united in choosing Harold as their king? The south, the east, and west are one man, Wolf said. Mercia, which comprises the Midlands, has accepted the choice. Northumbria has yet held itself aloof, though its earl has sworn allegiance, and its primate has placed the crown on Harold's head. But in time I am well assured the north will also accept him. 
as I said when we spoke about it after Harold had been tricked into taking an oath to be William's man, he had no more power to pledge himself for England than I had. Englishmen are free to choose their own king, and as Harold has long been their ruler, their choice naturally fell on him. Harold is about to marry the sister of the earls of Northumbria and Mercia, the widow of Griffith of Wales, and this will, I hope, bind these two powerful nobles to him. The only trouble is likely to come from Tostig, who is, as you know, at the court of Norway. But as he is hated in Northumbria, and the Earl and his brother of Mercia both have personal enmity against him, he can gather no following there, while Anglia and Wessex are devoted to Harold. Still, he and the King of Norway may cause trouble. The answer of Harold's ambassadors is, of course, a refusal. Assuredly, Wolf said, I do not know the exact import of the reply as although i have accompanied them i am not a member of the embassy being too young to be entrusted with so weighty a matter but there can be one answer harold is powerless to carry out his oath he had the choice of becoming king of england and thus defending our rights and freedom or of refusing the crown in which case he must have fled here and could have given no aid whatever to william as he himself would be regarded as the worst of traitors by the english the duke must be perfectly well aware that a king of england could not without the assent of the people accept a foreign prince as his liege lord de burg nodded that is plainly so wolf and although the duke professes intense indignation against harold he himself has over and over again broken his own oaths of allegiance to the king of france breaches of oaths go for little except they serve as pretext for war it would have been the same thing if Harold had never taken the oath, except that his breach of it will be an aid to William in a war against him. We Northmen came to France and conquered a province simply by the right of the strongest. The Duke has doubted his dominions by the same right. He deems himself now strong enough to conquer England. Whether he is so remains to be seen. At present methinks that but a few of us are disposed to follow him in such an enterprise but there is never any saying how things will go at last. When war is in the air, men's minds become heated. There will be dignities, estates and titles to be won, and when many are ready to go, few like to hang back. More than once already William has embarked on a war against the wishes of the majority, but he has finally carried all with him, and it may be so again, especially if he can win over the Pope to excommunicate Harold for the breach of an oath sworn on the relics. His excommunication will go for little in England, Wolf said sturdily. Many of our prelates and almost all of our clergy are Englishmen, and hold in very small respect the claim of the Pope to interfere in the affairs of England. And if Harold died, who would be likely to succeed him? I never thought of that, Wolf said, and I should think that few Englishmen have done so. If such a misfortune should happen, methinks that England would be rent in two and that while Wessex and Anglia would choose one of his brothers, Mercia in the north would take Edwin or his brother Morcar as their king, but assuredly no foreign prince would be chosen. No, but with England divided the chance of conquest would be easier. You are about the king, Wolf. Keep a shrewd guard over him. I say not for a moment that the duke would countenance any attempt to do him harm, but there are many rough spirits who might think they would gain his favour greatly did they clear his path of Harold, and who would feel all the less scruple in doing so 
should the pope be indeed to excommunicate him such things have happened again and again mind i have no warrant for my speech methinks the honour of de burg is too well known for any one to venture to broach such a project before him but so many kings and great princes have fallen by an assassin's knife to clear the way for the next hare or for an ambitious rival that i cannot close my eyes to the fact that one in harold's position might well be made the subject of such an attempt the history of your own country will furnish you examples of what i say thank you my lord wolf said gravely the thought that an assassin's knife might be raised against harold who is of all men the most beloved in england has never once entered my mind but i see there may indeed be danger of such an attempt being made i do not greatly trust morcar or his brother and the danger may come from them or as you say from one desirous of gaining favour with your duke i will lay your warning to heart the conversation now turned on other topics on the welsh war and the life wolf had been leading since they last met and upon what had happened to the many acquaintances wolf had made in normandy they talked until long past the usual hour for retiring to rest wolf slept at the chateau and rode into rouen at an early hour in the morning the audience the next day was a public one william was surrounded by his officers of state and by a large number of his barons the english envoys were ushered in and the duke asked them in a loud voice what answer they had brought to his just demands on the part of his sworn liegeman harold the king of england bids us state duke that he holds an oath taken by a prisoner under force to be invalid especially when taken in ignorance of the sanctity of the concealed relics secondly he says that he has been elected by the people of england and that he has no power whatever to transfer the rights that they have conferred upon him and which he has sworn to maintain and that they would absolutely refuse to be bound by any act on his part contrary to the welfare of the kingdom and to their rights as freemen thirdly as to your demand that he should carry out his promise to marry your daughter he points out that the lady whose hand was promised to him has since that time died and lastly although as earl of wessex he might transfer that engagement to another of your daughters as king of england he is unable to do so as the will of the people is that their king shall marry no foreign princess but that the royal family shall be of unmixed english blood william frowned heavily you hear my lords he said after a pause to the norman barons the english earl who was here as my guest refuses to carry out the engagements to which he swore upon the holy relics i cannot however bring myself to believe that he will really persist in this foul perjury and shall persevere in my endeavours to bring him to a sense of his duty and to show him the foul dishonour that will rest upon him should he persist in the contempt alike of our holy church and his honour as a knight and a christian conduct that would bring upon him eternal infamy and the scorn and contempt of all the princes and nobles of europe and draw upon his head the wrath of the church then he abruptly turned on his heel and left the audience chamber while the english envoys returned to their house and made preparations for an immediate departure a few minutes after his arrival there one of the duke's pages brought word to wolf that the duke desired to speak to him in private he at once went across to the palace 
the duke received him cordially i marked that you were with the other thanes and was glad to see you whom i count as my friend tell me frankly what think the people of england of this monstrous act of perjury on the part of harold to speak the truth my lord duke wulf replied they trouble their heads in no way about it they hold that the right of electing their king rests wholly with them and that harold's promise to do what he had no more power to do than the lowest born of englishmen was but a waste of words harold himself feels the obligation far more than any one else and had there been any other englishman who could have united the people as well as he could himself he would gladly have stood aside but there is none such and he had no choice but to accept the decision of the vitan and for the sake of england to lay aside his own scruples the late king too nominated him his successor and although his voice had no legal weight he is now regarded as almost a saint among the people the fact therefore that he full of piety and religion as he was should have held that harold's oath in no way prevented the people from choosing him has gone very far to satisfy any scruples that might have been felt edward at one time named me as his successor the duke said shortly so i have heard my lord duke but as he grew in years and learned more of english feeling and character he became fully aware that the people would accept no foreign prince and that only the man who had for thirteen years governed in his name could be their choice and the great earls and thanes are likewise of that opinion assuredly in anglia and wessex they are so i know not the minds of earls morcar and edwin but they were at the vitan and stood by his side at the coronation and doubtless felt they could not rely upon their own people if they attempted any opposition to harold and you will support this usurper against me wulf i shall fight my lord duke for the king chosen by the people of england should that choice some day fall on you i should be as faithful a follower of yours as i am now of harold well answered young thane you have twice done me loyal service and i at least do not forget my promises as yet my mind is not made up to my course but should fate will it so william of england will not forget the services rendered to william of normandy a few minutes later wulf rejoined his companions and before nightfall the ship was far on her way down the river shall we go back to staining my lord when we return home osgod asked as they stood by the bullock together watching the passing shores no osgod i mean for a time to remain with the king baron de burg yesterday hinted to me that he thought it possible that some of the duke's followers might endeavour to remove the obstacle between him and the throne of england there are in every country desperate men who are ready for any crime or deed of violence if they but think its committal will bring them a reward we have had english kings assassinated before now and it has been the same in other countries moreover there are many normans who were forced to fly from england when godwin's family returned from exile these having a personal grudge against him would be willing to gratify it and at the same time to earn a place in william's favour harold is so frank and unsuspicious that he will never think of taking precautions for his personal safety you and i then must serve as his watchdogs it may be a difficult task for we have no idea from what quarter that danger may come and yet by chance we may discover some clue or other that will set us on the right track at any rate if we are near him and keep a watchful eye on any strangers approaching him we may save him from a treacherous blow 
good my lord methinks that harold was wrong in not sending every norman across the seas and every man with whom i have spoken thinks the same but at any rate we can as you say keep a sharp lookout and although i cannot always be near his person i shall go about and listen and it will be hard if anything is on foot without my hearing some whisper of it you will tell him no word of your suspicions i suppose certainly not i have fears rather than suspicions and baron de burg certainly spoke as if he regarded it as likely that such an attempt might be made and he knows his own people better than i do he expressly said that he had no special reason for giving me the warning but he may have heard some angry remark or some covert threat against harold and although the duke would not i feel sure openly countenance his slaying i think that the slayers might confidently look for a reward from his gratitude did they by their daggers open a way for him to the throne of england on the return to the embassy to london king harold said to wolf i have no further occasion for your services at present wolf and i suppose you will return home and increase the number of your house girls it is not with the undisciplined levies that the normans if they come must be met it is no question this time of welsh mountaineers but of trained warriors and should they land they must be met by men as firm and obedient to orders as themselves i am trying to impress this on all our thanes but most of them are hard to move and deem it that all is necessary on the day of battle is that men shall have strength and courage and arms with your permission my lord i would rather abide near you and leave the training of my men to the officer who taught those who fought by my side in wales i thought you did not care for the gaieties of the court harold said in some surprise nor do i my lord for its gaieties i care nothing but in times like these there is much to be learned and i would not bury myself in staining when there is so much of importance going on in london then stay wolf i shall be glad to have you here I have but little time to myself now, but it is a relief to put aside grave matters sometimes. I will appoint a room for you near my own chamber. You have heard no news of her, I suppose? In truth, my lord, I know not how to set about the task, and it seems to me that my only chance is to run against one of her serving men in the street. That is but a slight chance, Wolf, but even I, with all the power of England in my hands, am equally at a loss. I cannot send round to all the thanes of Wessex to ask if a strange lady has taken a house in their jurisdiction, nor to all the parish priests to ask if a new worshipper has come into their church. However, I believe that sooner or later she will herself advise me where she has hidden. It may be that your stay here will not be a long one, for I purpose journeying to the north. To Northumbria, Wolf said in surprise yes the people there refuse to recognize me and i would win them by going among them rather than by force my dear friend bishop wolfstan will accompany me i shall take with me a body of my housecarls partly as a guard but more because i cannot now travel as a private person it is very many years since an english king has visited northumbria and it is not strange that these northern men should object to being ruled by a stranger from the south i shall take with me two or three of my thanes only but shall be glad for you to ride with me young as you are you have a quick eye and a ready wit and in case trouble should arise i can rely upon you more than upon many men far older than yourself the palace of westminster was not an imposing edifice london had not yet become the capital of england oxford being the seat of government of most of the kings 
so that the palace was built on a simple plan and had been altered by edward until the interior arrangements more nearly resembled those of a convent than of a palace below was the great banqueting hall and beyond this the chamber where the king heard complaints and administered justice leading from this were the king and queen's private chambers where the one sat and read or received his chief counsellors and the other worked with her maids and listened to the music of the harpers or the tales of war and love sung by the bards behind was the chapel on the floor above a corridor ran from one end of the building to the doors which separated the royal sleeping rooms from the rest on either side of the corridor were small bedchambers where the officers of the household and guests of the court slept their attendants lying in the corridor itself or in the kitchens which with other offices were contained in a separate building the room assigned to wolf and which harold had ordered was henceforth to be retained for him was on the right-hand side of the corridor next to the door leading to the royal apartments like the others it was a mere cell with a straw pallet covered with sheepskins with some rugs for covering this constituted the whole of the furniture in the morning water was brought in brass ewers and basins either by the pages or servants of the guests nothing could be better my lord than this osgod said i am a light sleeper and lying across your door i am sure that no one could enter the king's apartments without my hearing those heavy doors move there is but little chance osgod of an attack being made on him in that fashion doubtless some of the royal servants sleep on the other side of the door no if any design be attempted against his life it will be when he is travelling or when he is abroad amid a crowd i saw walter fitz erse to-day master in the train of william of london then he must have returned within the last day or two osgod for he has been absent for more than a year and i know that when we sailed for normandy he was still absent for i inquired of one of the court officials if he had been here of late what should bring him back again i wonder he has long been out of his paid ship and he can hope for no preferment in england while harold is king he has i know no great possessions in normandy for i asked guy about him and learned that his father was a knight of but small consideration either as to his state of character and that the boy owed his place as a page to william of london to the fact that he was a distant relation of the prelate i would say harm of no man but i should think he is as likely as another to be mixed up in such a plot as we are talking of he is landless hot-tempered and ambitious he owes no goodwill to harold for it is by his intervention that he was sent away in disgrace after that quarrel with me at any rate osgod since we have no one else to suspect we will in the first place watch him or rather have him looked after for i see not how we ourselves can any way keep near him he knows me well and has doubtless seen you with me and having seen you once would not be likely to forget you i think i can manage that osgod said confidently my father has a small apprentice who well-nigh worries his life out with tricks and trifling i have more than once begged him off a beating and methinks he will do anything for me he is as full of cunning as an ape and i warrant me would act his part marvellously my father will be glad enough to get him out of the forge for a while and when i tell him that it is in your service he will make no difficulty about it he is fifteen years old but so small for his age that he would pass for three years younger than he is i think it's a very good plan osgod you had best see your father in the morning and if he consents to your having the boy bring him down to the river bank behind the abbey 
where i will be awaiting you and there can talk to him without observation you're sure that he can be trusted to keep silence regarding what i tell him he can be trusted my lord in the first place he will enjoy playing his part and in the second he will know well enough that i should nearly flay him alive with my stirrup leather if he were to fail me and that his life in the forge would be worse than ever the next morning wolf strolled down to the river bank after breaking his fast and it was not long before osgod joined him with the boy have you told him what he is required for osgod wolf asked as the boy doffing his cap stood before him with an air of extreme humility i am not good at the telling of tales as you know my lord and i thought it better that you should tell him as much or as little as you choose you don't like your work at the forge ulf for that wolf had learned was the boy's name i think that i like it better than it likes me the boy replied when i get to do the fine work i shall like it but at present it is fetch this tool ulf or file that iron or blow those bellows and if i do but smile i get a cuff no no ulf osgood said of course at present you are but a beginner and at your age i too had to fetch and carry and be at the bidding of all the men and it is not for smiling that you get cuffed but for playing tricks and being away for hours when you are sent on a message to the next street and doing your errands wrongly my father tells me you will be a good workman some day you will never be strong enough to wield a heavy hammer or to forge a battle-axe but he says that your fingers are quick and nimble and you will some day do fine work such as clumsy hands could not compass but that is not the point now you will be glad enough to be out of the forge for a bit ulf wolf asked that i should but not always it will not be for very long i want a watch set upon a norman in order to know where he goes and whom he meets and what he proposes osgod tells me that he thinks you could play the part rarely and that you would be willing for his sake to do our bidding the boy looked up into osgod's face with an expression of earnest affection i would do anything for him he said even if i were to be cut to pieces osgod is as much interested in the matter as i am ulf and he has assured me that you are to be trusted i will tell you more as to the man and my object in setting you to watch him you can trust me my lord the boy said earnestly i will do your bidding whatever it is you know ulf that the duke of normandy desires the crown of england so i have heard men say my lord working harold out of the way his chances of obtaining it would be improved the boy nodded i am sure that the duke himself would take no hand in bringing about harold's death but there are many of his people who might think that they would obtain a great reward were they to do so the boy nodded again the man i wish you to watch is walter fitz erse who is in the train of the bishop i have no particular reason for suspecting him beyond the fact that he has but just come over here and this is scarcely a time a norman would come to london now as the bishop is a relation and patron of his he may have come merely to visit him still he has as he thinks a cause for enmity against the king he is needy and as i know somewhat unscrupulous all this is little enough against a man but it still it seems to me his coming bodes danger to the king and this being so i desire that he shall be watched in order that i may find out what is his real object in coming over here i want you to post yourself near the gate of the bishop's palace and whenever he comes out to follow him save when he is in the train of the bishop most of all if he sallies out alone or after dark it will not do for you to be always dressed as an apprentice 
osgod will procure for you such clothes as you may require for disguises one day you could be sitting there as a beggar asking alms another as a girl from one of the villages with eggs or flowers you understand that you'll have to follow him to mark where he goes in and especially should he be joined by anybody when out to endeavour to overhear something of what they say to each other even a few words might suffice to show me whether my suspicions are true or not do you think you can do that osgod tells me that you are good at playing a part i will do it my lord and that right gladly it is a business after my own heart and i will warrant that those who see me one day will not know me when they see me the next osgod will go with you now and will stay near the bishop's palace until the man you are to watch comes out and will point him out to you in a day or two i may be going away with the king when we return you will tell us what you have found out till we go osgod will meet you here each morning as the abbey bell rings out the hour of seven you can tell him anything you have learned and then he will give you such further instructions as may be needful and remember you must be cautious for walter fitzurse would not hesitate to use his dagger on you did he come upon you eavesdropping i will give him leave to do so if he catches me the boy said very well then osgod will go with you to buy clothes as may be necessary and remember that you will be well rewarded for your work i want no reward the boy said almost indignantly i am an apprentice and as my master has bid me to do whatever osgod commands he has a right to my services but this is nothing there is not one in london who would not do aught in his power for harold and who would scorn to take pay for it as this is a matter in which his very life may be concerned though i am but a boy and a small one at that there is naught that i would not do even to the giving of my life to spoil these norman plots osgod was about to chide the boy angrily for this freedom of speech but wulf checked him are you a right lad and i am sorry i spoke of a reward i myself would have answered the same at your age and would have died for harold then as i would now i should have bethought me that the feelings of englishmen gentle or simple are the same towards the king and i crave your pardon for treating your loyal service as a thing to be paid for with money the boy's eyes filled with tears he dropped to one knee and seizing wolf's hand placed it to his lips and then without a word sped away halting a hundred yards off till osgood should join him you have made a good choice wolf said the boy is wholly trustworthy and unless his face belies him is as shrewd as he is faithful my only fear in the matter is that he may be over rash in his desire to carry out the trust we have given him warn him against that and tell him that should he be discovered and killed it would upset all our plans end of chapter 14